D, obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Father, we thank you for um, <clears throat> your kindness to us and your mercy to us. We thank you for the word that you have given to us. And Lord, we would ask that it would be encouraging to our hearts this morning. I ask that you would strengthen uh, those of us who are weak in our faith, those of us who are discouraged by the circumstances in which we find ourselves, those of us who are worried and filled with anxiety. I ask, would you please give us the calm, that kind of peaceful serenity that we find here with the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, we confess that without you, that'll never happen. And so by your spirit, would you please be gracious to us? Would you minister to our hearts as we think about your word? And we thank you for uh, the, the, the great gift of knowing that by your spirit, you are here with us and you don't leave us or forsake us. And so we look to you and I ask, let every eyes of every heart in this room be on you, be fixed on you, Lord Jesus. So let us see you as wonderful as you are and as marvelous as you are. And I pray, keep us from the enemy who would want to keep us from seeing your glory. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, we are moving back into the sermon series in Matthew. Uh, we stepped out of that last week. It was Labor Day, and Robin John led us through a helpful consideration of Psalm 8. Uh, we were listening from afar, Robin. Um, but the, uh, the, the plan of God for work um, is something that is often neglected, and so we, we thought it right to spend some time thinking about work. And so today we jump back into Matthew, and we begin to follow Jesus as you heard uh, into a boat, onto the Sea of Galilee, and then into uh, a great storm, which is followed by a great calm. Uh, and then we see the, the disciples marveling at Jesus. And so we, we focus on this marvelous person. Uh, I do want to say thank you also for uh, those of you who texted and emailed and said we we're praying for you as Elisa and I were out at uh, her father's funeral last week. And so thank you for your prayers and your, your support. Uh, but so jumping into verse 18, verse 18 gives us a, a bit of the context of where we were. We see in verse 18, uh, Jesus saw the crowd. Uh, he's um, then given orders to go over to the other side. And of course, that other side would be the Sea of Galilee. Now they are in the town of Capernaum. When this happened, when Jesus spoke these words, which Capernaum is about 90 miles north of Jerusalem. So if you're wondering where in the world he is, he's on the, um, that portion of northern sea of Galilee. It's, it's the hometown of Peter and Andrew and James and John, and also became the home base for Jesus's public ministry. Uh, it's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and so uh, that is a, a sea that's often known by different names. There's about four or five different names in Scripture that you'll find that refer to this one location. It's uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Chinnereth, the Sea of Kinneret, the Sea of Gennesaret, and later it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Um, and so it kind of depended upon who was in charge as to how the name of this, this body of water was referred to. But that's where we are in the geography. And so we're on a lake. So that gives us a sense of, of what's about to happen. 
It's a beautiful lake. Uh, we were, uh, took a trip to Israel just a, a few months ago, and on one evening, I was walking around the shore of that and saw this incredible sunrise and uh, snapped a little photo. It's, it's a 13-mile uh, long lake and about eight miles wide, surrounded by mountains, and it sits in a valley. And so because of the geography, it is subject to uh, violent storms that can arise very quickly uh, from the airflow that kind of flows over the mountains and then down into the Sea of Galilee. It's 700 feet below sea level. And so it's one of the lowest freshwater lake. I think it is the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. And so this is um, this, the setting of where we see Jesus has given orders to go over to the other side. Interesting. Jesus gives orders. And, and the, we're, those orders are interrupted, as you recall, as a scribe approached Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Chris took us through that portion of Scripture uh, two weeks ago, which reminds us that following Jesus is more costly than you think. You, you, you want to jump in with wholehearted enthusiasm, and Jesus says, I don't even have a place to, to lay my head and so think about what you're doing. Consider the count and count the cost of, of what it means to follow. So now we pick up. Jesus has given orders to go across to the other side, and now we're going to get in the boat with him. So verse 23, and hopefully you'll follow along with me in your copy of, of God's word. So Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Now, it's, it's interesting. If you're ever looking for definitions of discipleship in Scripture, uh, there, there's, there's not one. The word discipleship does not appear in Scripture. Um, and yet what we understand by discipleship is that it, it, it's following Jesus. And here we get a little clue of what that is. Obeying orders and following Jesus. Jesus is the one who's leading the way and his disciples follow him. So Jesus gets into the boat and he says, let's go over to the other side. And his disciples follow him. That's discipleship. It's, it's surrendering to Jesus. He gets to tell us what to do. He gets to give orders and he expects his people to obey because we trust that they're good. We trust as his followers that what Jesus will command would only be good for us. We don't follow him if we don't believe his commands are going to be good. But as disciples, we surrender to him and say, okay, if the Lord Jesus wants to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that's where we're going. And so our obligation as Christians is to understand the will of God and then obey it. Right? We don't get to tell Jesus what to do. He tells us what to do. That's the essence. There's much more that could be said about discipleship. But that's the essence. It is trusting he is the leader and we are the follower. And then, of course, we have to pray, not my will, Lord Jesus, be done, but yours be done. That, that is the call of discipleship. And so they cross over to the other side. As I said, it's about an eight-mile wide lake. And so that would have taken about an hour and a half to cross over to the other side. But this night's different. 
This is an evening that they are going on this uh, journey, and it's not going to be a normal journey, as we see in verses 24 to 26, because as they get into the boat and head across this, this lake, this massive, what's called the sea, um, a, a great storm arises. And so verse 24, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, and he was asleep. Jesus was asleep. And they went and they woke him up saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And so they're making their way across this sea and a, a great storm arises. And, and great here does not mean wonderful, magnificent, and exceedingly good. That's not what it means here. The, the word in Greek is megas, which means mighty, powerful, strong, and loud, also intense and terrible. This is a megastorm. This is not a little tiny, you know, um, thunderstorm like we had the other day. Yesterday I was out for a run and there was a thunderstorm that swum, uh, thunderstorms don't swim, do they? Blew over Horn Pond and there was some lightning and there was a little bit of rain, but that was it. That's not anything like what we're talking about here. This was a mega storm and the word storm in the Greek here is seismos, which you recognize. We get our word seismic. It literally means a shaking so this is a mega shaking storm. And, and you know it's a serious because of the, the response of the disciples. And we are told that these waves are swamping the boat. So they are swamping the boat. They're coming over the edge of the boat. Now, if you're wondering, what does a first century boat look like? It's about 26 and a half feet long and about four and a half feet tall. Uh, one was discovered in 1986, buried in the, uh, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. As there was a drought that part of the, the, the year, uh, there were two brothers who couldn't fish. They were fishermen. They're walking along the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and they discover some nails. They start digging at the nails like little boys do. You find stuff in the sand, and you got to dig. Uh, and what they discovered was a boat, a 2,000-year-old fishing boat that looks something like this. The hull of that you can see in a museum there in Israel. And yet they are perishing. They say, we are perishing. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. Now, what's astounding is, remember, these are seasoned fishermen. At least four of them were professional fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John have all dedicated their vocational career to fishing. They have been on this lake since they were boys. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee, and suddenly there is a mighty shaking wind that has so terrified these men who have grown up on this sea that they fear for their life. They are terrified. And what do you do when you are afraid? of? Uh, you think you're going to die. They go to Jesus. right? So this, this massive storm has arisen. And now as the attention in the text turns to Jesus, we see the arising of a great calm. So uh, verses 26 and 27. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. So we had a great storm. Now we have a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So as Jesus comes on the scene and the attention of the apostles turn to, to Christ and away from the storm, we discover a great calm has happened. And so where's Jesus in the middle of all this? 
Where, where is he in the middle of the storm? And it's interesting, he's asleep. This is crazy, right? If you're in the middle of a mega storm and Jesus is sound asleep, Mark tells us he was in the stern of the boat. He's in the back of the boat on a cushion, calmly sleeping. In the middle of the chaos, Jesus is completely calm and the disciples have to go to him and wake him up. So Jesus is exhausted. Um, the way that Matthew shapes this, we get a sense that all of the events from moving from the Sermon on the Mount about four miles to Capernaum, so he walked about four miles to Capernaum after finishing up with the crowds on, uh, the, the, at, the, at the Mount Beatitudes. He then walks to Capernaum. He visits the synagogue. He teaches. He then spends his afternoon healing people who were sick, casting out demons. He healed Peter's mother-in-law and was teaching all day. And then they're going across the river at night. He's utterly exhausted. So he's probably asleep from exhaustion, but there's something different about the way Jesus is sleeping as well, because we'll see in just a moment, he has completely perfect faith in what the Father is going to do. He's not afraid. The disciples are terrified, right? They are terrified. They think they're about to die. Jesus is not. How can you sleep soundly in the middle of a storm? And one thing to remember, Jesus here, when he, when he wakes up, and this is interesting, I, I noticed as I was reading this through, they go to him, and, and by the way, put yourself here, You're, you, you've been taking an afternoon nap. Um, did the disciples come and say, um, excuse me, Jesus, we're, we're perishing. Could you, could you wake up? Um, and you know, if he's sound asleep, maybe they had to shake him again. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, please. Um, we're, 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 we're dying. Could you, could you help us out? Is that what the disciples, if you're perishing, is that what you would do? No, of course not. You're shouting, right? Jesus, we're, we're dying. Could you please wake up? Right? They're shouting at Jesus. I'm quite convinced because the word, this, this terrible storm means loud. There's wind rushing through. There's an incredible storm here. So they got to compete with the wind as well as awaken Jesus. And what do you say when someone shouts you into consciousness? What's the first words out of your mouth? Maybe we shouldn't talk about it, should we? <laughs> Here's what Jesus says. He, he doesn't even get up off the cushion yet. Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. What kind of guy says that when somebody shouts him awake in the morning? Maybe Wives, maybe you should see how your husband stands up. But Jesus, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. He, he doesn't even stand up yet. And, and you might think, as, as I did, if I, I'm trying to picture myself there. What kind of question is that? It might be because there's a Category 5 hurricane that we're in. He doesn't. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Now, they have a little faith. They do come to him. He's not denigrating them and belittling them. What is he doing? He's exposing a weakness in their faith. He says, you have a little faith, but it needs to be significantly more. I hope there's some of you here today with a little bit of faith. And you want your faith to 
to grow significantly more. Because here's Jesus saying, why are you afraid? And, and I think Jesus is not afraid in the middle of a Category 5 hurricane because he's absolutely convinced in the sovereignty of God. Do you remember what he said at the Sermon on the Mount? He said, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And not one little dot or stroke will go unfulfilled until everything is accomplished. He's not done yet. There's much to be fulfilled in, in the coming of Messiah and his bringing of the kingdom. Jesus is not worried he's going to die prematurely. He has complete confidence in the sovereignty of God. He will accomplish all of his will by the help of the Lord. And boy, I ask myself, do, you, do I have that kind of confidence in the sovereignty of God? Do you have that kind of confidence in the sovereignty of God? Because what makes you afraid? What do you fear? When, when you're lying awake at night and you can't sleep, what are you afraid of? Jesus is able to see what the disciples can't see and is the unshakable power of the Creator. Jesus is not wavering because He has complete faith in His Father. And don't be afraid. And so, folks, we're going to go through storms. Jesus is going in through a storm. And what will be our response? What will be when you're, in, maybe you're in, in the middle of a storm. I've often heard it said, everybody is either in a storm, just came out of one, or isn't about to go into one. I think that's probably true. Some of you are in the middle of terrible storms. I know it. And what do you do? Where does your fear lie? And where does your faith lie? Jesus is filled with faith in his Father. So he is not afraid of a Category 5 hurricane in a 26-foot boat. That's incredible. And they go to him and they say, Jesus, save us. Uh, and, and so what happens? Now Jesus, verse 26, look with me. Then he rose up. So Jesus is still laying on the cushion. But he asked the question, what are you afraid of? Oh, you of little faith before he even stands up. And then he arises and he rebukes the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. Mark tells us that what Jesus said was, peace, be still. He didn't shout, do gymnastics, jump up and down, scream, yell, do a war dance like my mom used to do. If we didn't wake up in the morning, and this is, this is back to school season, right? Every parent needs to take lessons from my mom. If we didn't get up, for school at the appropriate time, she did an Indian war dance and would come down the hallway with a cup of water. And if you didn't get out of bed, you had water on your head. It only took once before you, you, hear, the, you hear her, you're coming down the hallway, you're out of your bed. No question. It works, parents. If you have trouble getting your kids up, this will work. And here Jesus simply says, peace, be still. How many of you need that in your life? Peace, be still. Here's what we find our Lord saying. And the weather obeys. Winds obey. Four-foot waves stop. The clouds settle. Peace, 
A calmness comes over the Sea of Galilee because of the command of Jesus. And what happens with the disciples? What do they do? Verse 27, look at it with me. The men marveled at him and said, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? And and don't you laugh? I had to laugh. They came to Jesus and said, save us. And then they're stunned when he actually did it. Isn't that us? (laughs) We have a little bit of faith. We go and we ask. But then when God answers, we're like blown away. He did it. It's incredible. Yes. And who is this? What sort of man can do this? What's the answer to that question? Who calms storms in the Old Testament? You know your Bibles. Jesus knows his Bible. These disciples know their Bible, which is our Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say? Uh, Job gives us an answer for this, the book of Job. He was once asked this very question. Here's what the Bible says. This is a quote. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of, its, of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further and here your proud waves will be stayed or stopped. Who said that? God did. That's a quote from God. Who, who else is compared to him? Psalm 89. Who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared, awesome, and above all who are around him. O oh Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are. You rule the raging sea when its waves rise and you still them. Who calms sea, the, the waves and the sea when it's foaming and frothing, right? God does, only God does, and the disciples know this. And what's astounding to me is even our own memorials and monuments testify to the answer of this question. Who controls the ocean? Who governs the seas and the winds? God does. You've stopped by Gloucester and look at the fisherman's memorial statue as well as that entire memorial in Gloucester. You'll find the words of Psalm 107, verses 22, or 23 and 24, which say this. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. That's, that's on a bronze monument in Gloucester. He commanded and raised the stormy wind. Who, who commanded? God did. They met, the waves lifted up. They mounted up to heaven. The men went down into the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits end like the disciples. What do we do? There's nobody else to turn to but Jesus. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed and they were glad when the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. The disciples realized who Jesus was. They're beginning to get a picture. This is a man who controls the weather. And so, folks, are you in the middle of a storm? what's, What's here for us? What do we take away from a passage like this? And I I quickly want to offer a couple suggestions. When you think about what you're going through in life, how do we we live in this calm that we see Christ being able to, to, to work? First of all, don't be surprised by storms. 
Don't be shocked that you're in the middle of a storm. Don't be surprised because we're going to face them, right? Everybody faces them. Jesus faced the storm. So don't be surprised that you're in the middle of the storm. If God didn't spare his own son from going through the storms of this cursed and broken world, are we any better? Right? What does Jesus say? John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's certain in this world you will have trouble. And yet, take heart because Jesus has overcome the trouble. But you're going to go through it. Remember what Jesus said, the servant is not greater than his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you too. If, you went, if I go through storms and I'm the son of God, I don't deserve to go through any storm and yet I have to come here to go through them all, you also are going to walk through. I, I could read, uh, for the sake of time, Acts 14, 22, where Paul says to uh, encouraging new believers, he said, it is with many tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many tribulations we're going to have to go through. Or I could read 1 Peter 4, which he says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has overcome you like something strange has happened. Folks, we're in a broken and a cursed world. Don't be surprised. Secondly, don't be discouraged by the weakness of your faith. Don't be discouraged by the weakness of your faith. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. He did not say that to to beat them down. He said it to build them up. When storms come into our lives, they reveal where things are weak. When a powerful storm blows through, all the dead branches of a tree, the weak ones, they get blown away. And what happens is that what's left, the stronger branches are able to flourish. They have more room to reach out to the sun. And that's exactly what they do. Little branches reach for the sun, right? And so storms remove what's weak so that what is there can be strengthened. Don't view God taking you through storms as him being against you. View it as him pruning you for increased fruitfulness and and productiveness. And I want to read Isaiah 35, 3 to 4, which says this. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold your God, he will come and save you. If you're weak, be strengthened in the Lord. If, If you're in the middle of a storm that is overwhelming you, trust in him, he will strengthen you. Third, go to Jesus during the storms. How do we respond when we find ourselves in the middle of the storm? What did the disciples do? They went straight to Jesus. Don't wait until you've been rowing all night and completely wore yourself out trying to get through your problem. Why don't you go to him first? Go first to Jesus. Go quickly to the Lord in prayer in order to share with him what is on your mind. And he will listen. They cried out, Lord, save us. He did it. Jesus has the power to change your circumstance or deliver you from the situation or sustain you through it. Sometimes he says, no, I'm not going to stop the storm. I'm going to sustain you through it. It's what he said to Paul, right? Paul said, take me out of this storm. Remove this thorn in my flesh. 
please remove it, remove it, remove it. And what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes the Lord sustains us through the storm, but he never abandons us. So go to him quickly. Fourth, remember that Jesus is with you during the storm. He's in the boat. If you are in Christ, you are in him. He is in you. His spirit indwells us. The Bible uses both of those ways of speaking. We're in Christ and he is in us. He's with you. Whatever you're going through, whatever circumstance, whatever trial, whatever storm you're in, he is with you. And what did he say? Matthew 28, 20, at the very end of Matthew, behold, I am with you when? Till the end. I am with you to the end. I will carry you through this. And then lastly, believe that the calm comes from being with Jesus and not without the storm. Right? Some of us, we just want the absence of the storm and we really don't care if we're with Jesus. You're never going to be calm in that kind of scenario. Calm, the kind of calm that comes from God comes from being with Jesus, not merely in the absence of a storm. And the verse that I want to leave you with is John 14, 27. Jesus says this, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let your hearts not be troubled and don't be afraid. Almost the same thing he said when he was in the boat. So remember these things. Is, are, you, are you focusing your attention on the Lord Jesus? Don't get discouraged that you have to go through storms. Everybody does. Whether you think you're worthy or unworthy, every person is going to be going through storms. Don't think that that is a surprise. Right? Don't be discouraged when your weakness is exposed. Address it. When you know you have a weakness, then you can shore it up. And so view it as God perfecting and pruning you. And so third, when you find yourself in the storm, go quickly to the Lord Jesus. Fourth, remember he's with you. He's always with you and will never forsake you as long as you're his child. And fifth, calmness comes from being with Christ. Calmness comes from being near him. So great storms will arise in our lives. But with Christ, there can be a great calm. And do you, do you not marvel at who Jesus is? The disciples looked and said, who is this guy who gives orders and the winds and the waves obey? Marvel at the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I ask you, please, would you grant all of us to be rooted in you? Lord, we, whatever storm we find ourselves in, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, may we please cling to you. May we run to you. And Lord, I pray by your spirit, would you work in strengthening our faith? For Lord Jesus, without you, there, we can do nothing. Without you, there is no stability. Without you, there is no peace. Lord, if there's anybody listening to my voice who does not know that your spirit dwells within their heart, please don't let them leave today without making sure of where they stand with the Lord. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for promising 
that anyone who would come to you, you would never cast out. Thank you for such a sweet promise. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.